Big week in the National Hockey League. I am Brett Merriman. In front of me on the uh, the screen that y'all can't see is NRD, NHL Rumors Daily. NRD, how are you today? What's up, Brett? We did that for a reason. Brett can see it. You can't. But uh, it's fun, right? Eventually we'll get there. Now, uh, now's not the time. We'll I'm do just... it maybe... Another time on the cold stove five. People think I'm looking at you. I'm just looking at a blank. I'm looking into the abyss. It's just NRD. It, it's he's in the the rumor corner, the bomb uh, the bomb shelter over there. But you know the face, the Wizard of Oz, the green face that pops I, up out of the smoke. <laughs> That's exactly what Brett Merriman's looking at right now. Exactly. Give you guys a little idea. Exactly. Uh, NRD. You know we'll kind of jump right in. Welcome to Cold Stove, by the way, the podcast where we break things and and try to fix them. I, I guess. The NHL is, is uh, in desperate need of a, a fixing, if you will. Off the top, what what are your reactions from the past week in the hockey National Hockey League? It's not a great week for the National Hockey League as a whole. I mean, you look at what went on in Chicago, and now what's going on in Pittsburgh as of the recording of this podcast. Um a gigantic black eye on the National Hockey League in in their tenure and what they've went through. I mean, the press conference from Gary Bettman the day prior to uh, us recording this podcast, not a great look for the league. Um, many opportunities to apologize, many opportunities to set course on the right path for the National Hockey League moving forward out of the Chicago Blackhawks scandal. Failed to do so. I think uh, Bettman put a lot of pressure on the media for their handling and their coverage at one point i believe even telling a reporter from the athletic you know you covered the blackhawks why didn't you have a better clue about what was going on i think that's an issue in itself i think there are going to be a lot of questions as to whether gary batman's fit to remain as commissioner of the national hockey league i'll just say this off the top of the show he survived two lockouts he survived countless issues with with collective bargaining and everything that's went on with tv deals and whatnot like the owners care about money at the end of the day they don't really you know i'm sure they have good hearts but a lot of them care about money and if you've survived all the crap that had to do with filling the owner's pockets i have my doubts about whether the owners would kick him out because really at the end of the day who has the power to remove gary bettman it's the owners he's the mouthpiece of the 32 owners in the national hockey league mm-hmm. He's going to face some media pressure. We're already seeing it in in light of that press conference. We're seeing a lot of pressure on Gary Bettman. Alan Walsh actually today tweeted out that some owners are starting to get fed up and maybe more suggestive to new leadership than not. Alan Walsh is a great personality. He's a hell of a hockey agent. I wonder how much of that was coming from personal vendettas against Gary Bettman and not from actual owners themselves. So I'm just going to throw that skepticism out there. But yeah, I mean... I think there's a better chance we see change at the leadership level of the NHLPA than the National Hockey League itself. But listen, it has not been a good week for the National Hockey League, and we'll go more into more in depth on what occurred and what why it shouldn't have occurred and really where it went wrong. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is the sport we love. We love hockey. We're covering the game. We love talking about the game, watching the game, et cetera, et cetera. And not a great time. When you when you're personally and emotionally affected by the events that take that have taken place over the past couple of weeks, to then turn on a game and you know be really proud of the league and the sport right now. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, you know, I I, I did want to give a few minutes 
because everybody, you know, everybody and their brother that has a hockey podcast has been able to talk about this story. We were record, literally recording as the press conference that Stan Bowman was having last week, or not Stan Bowman, but, but, but as the, uh, the Wirtz family was having, where we found out what was going to happen to Stan Bowman. Since that point, a lot has happened. Uh, I have read the full report. I've watched the Kyle Beach interview. I've listened to the Gary Bettman press conference. And I think the, the number one feel, thing I feel is, is anger. I'm angry at the Blackhawks. I'm angry at Brad Aldrich. I'm angry at the NHLPA. I'm angry at the league. And I'm angry that Kyle Beach felt he had to apologize for what happened. I've never had something like that happen to myself. So I, I, the, the empathy is more of a I'm so sorry kind of deal. But I just cannot imagine a league leaving a guy behind like that where he did what was necessary to bring this to light. He went to somebody that he trusted. Said, here's exactly what happened. And in reading the report, what, what, part of what I think happened is that as that information was fed up the food chain, it went from here is exactly what happened to a, how do I want to word this? To a, an advance was made. A sexual advance was made on Kyle Beach. When you take... A, a graphic detail that Kyle Beach told somebody bravely, and it turns into a sexual advance was made. That opens up the door for the Blackhawks to say, "Well, something didn't. A crime wasn't committed," which I think is is bullshit. If it's my, if I'm being told information, I don't care if it's a sexual advance that was made and and not followed through on, or something as awful as what happened to Kyle Beach happened. Those two are equal in my mind. In the Blackhawks case, it feels like because they didn't know the exact details initially, and it was an allegation in their mind, they allowed things to keep going a la played three weeks, won the Stanley Cup, etc. I haven't heard that disconnect explained in anything that I've read or seen. And I think that is what the Blackhawks are relying on as their defense and what Gary Bettman is pointing to as a defense. That is inexcusable to me because an advance or a crime that is actually committed are one and the same. And so I just, I wanted to get that off my chest because that is a, a, a thought that has kind of been stewing with me for the last couple of days after I have read the full report. Um, I'm angry at the, that the press conference yesterday, like we mentioned, most embarrassingly was the the fine defense of $2 million. And the, the answer to the question of why were the devils fined $3 million for a salary cap circumvention? Why were the Arizona Coyotes fined draft picks for a, a workout? That was outside the scope of the CBA. And the Blackhawks were fined $2 million. 
and his defense saying different context, different facts. No, no, no. You knew the facts. And then for Rick Westhead, which obviously was a, a joke for him not to get the first question of that, that press conference, Rick asks, will you provide counseling to, the, to John Doe number two for what happened to him based on Brad Aldrich walking free more or less out of the Blackhawks organization without a review on what happened, uh, without a reference to say, hey, by the way, don't hire this guy because he's a fucking scumbag. Here's what happened. Goes in and molests a kid in Houghton, Michigan. And Gary Bettman says, well, I need the facts. Guess what, Gary Bettman? That went to court and he was convicted. He spent time in jail. Those are facts. Those are not allegations. Those are convictions. That in itself should have been absolutely, we've been in contact with John Doe number two, and we are committed to providing whatever he needs. It is that simple. I'm angry at the litigious nature of every question in the statements that Gary Bettman's read. I know he's a lawyer. I know Daly's a lawyer. I'm tired of it. I'm absolutely tired of it. And it, it, it's we've seen it in politics for years now. We've seen it in the NHL for years under Gary Bettman's tenure. That doesn't do a good enough job of making things right, whether it's the Kyle Beach situation, whether it's the like concussion issues. All Gary Bettman likes to talk about is escrow and revenue. The game's moved beyond that. So I I just I, I know we can we can talk more about this. I know people are going to say they're tired of hearing about this issue and that's not the right answer. That's not what you should be saying. This this should be discussed. This should be a, an opportunity for change. So please don't say you're tired of hearing about this listeners or or on Twitter. You shouldn't be. This is going to be uh, made right, ideally, before the before the conversation around this dies down. And it's a shame because it's a brand new hockey season, the first full season in a, in a while. Knock on wood, with new TV deals and and new emphasis on stars around the league. It's just, it should be an opportunity for the league. And now we've started off like this because people covered up sexual abuse. A decade ago. And you, you know, everything you said, I was sitting here intently listening to you and I was really interested in your thoughts on it. So I hope people do listen because at the end of the day, like you said, many people are going to say they're sick of hearing about this. But as you mentioned, we did not get a chance to really soak everything in and respond like other podcasts have. And also... I think everybody should have an opinion on this. I think everybody should voice their concerns because that's the only way institutional change gets made, right? When enough people say something, when enough people are opinionated about a topic. I get it. There, there are going to be many people out there that just want to get back to hockey. And, and I do too. I, I'll throw my hand up and say I do too. But unfortunately, we cannot get back to NHL hockey until these issues are addressed. I want to point to, I mean, this whole thing has been an institutional failure from the top down. 
there are three major points of contention on my personal timeline that I have with this situation where it really went wrong. A, point one, whatever you want to call it. Tyle Beach handled it the way he was instructed to handle it as per the NHL policy, the NHLPA policy, in place back in 2010. So anybody talking about a statute of limitations, this is a civil suit that came about after the fact, but at the time, this was reported. This was not something that went unsaid till 2021. This was mentioned in 2010. Chicago Blackhawks chose to do absolutely nothing about it, which we know. I mean, that's no secret there. I'm not, you know. The institutional failure, and and this is what I never understood. You have an issue, and, and whether that game of telephone gets disconnected and it becomes from a an event that happened, an assault that happened to a sexual advance, like you mentioned, it doesn't even matter. You're in the midst of a Stanley Cup race. You sit there and say, we want to keep the focus on the players and the team to win the Stanley Cup. I never understood why it isn't easier to say, you know what? We're not here for any of that bullshit. Just get Aldrich the fuck out of here, right? That should have been because, literally, literally the first thing they do. Because at the end of the day, yes, it maybe you're not giving it a thorough investigation to address any organizational failure in the chain, right? Which there was due diligence. Like, that needed to be done, right? And I'm glad that got done now. Yeah. But in the moment, if you wanted to, quote unquote, and I throw this in air quotes, cover it up and just move on and focus on the Stanley Cup Finals, you could have easily just said, listen, let's get this fucking head case out of here. Just totally. Go. We'll, go home. We go will home. In- yeah, we'll investigate you, will get your you day, after the cup. Yep, yep. You'll get your day in court. You'll get your investigation. If you're if, if Aldrich says he's innocent, you know what? We're not dealing with you. We're not dealing get with out. it right now. Yeah. Get out. And we'll fight. We'll we'll throw our full legal prowess yeah. at it. We'll deal with any, you know, fired without reason, any tenure stuff after the fact. We don't need this right now. Get go the fuck home. Right. Easy. That was suspended, that was, with, suspended yeah, exactly. with pay. Suspended with pay. Whatever. Yep. At the end of the day, we'll negotiate this. We'll talk about this. We'll investigate this. But that mm-hmm. didn't happen. That's failure number one. Failure number two is after that offseason and after Aldrich left the team, the Chicago Blackhawks still did not conduct their investigation and then wrote letters of recommendation for this guy to mm-hmm. different hockey programs in Michigan, to USA Hockey, where he went on to coach a women's program team. That's issue number two. So at first... You, you didn't have the gall to just say, get the fuck out of here. We'll deal with this later. Secondly, you go even further to recommend this guy to other programs. And then third, the institutional failure is on the NHLPA for not backing Kyle Beach when he went through the proper channels. Listen, we could sit here, like I said, when starting this you know speech, that we could talk about how, yes, why is this coming forward now? But that, that's not the point, and I don't think any of the blame should ever be on the victim in this state. He did do the right thing at the time. This is coming about now because there's there's a civil suit and case, and you know, Kyle Beach obviously went through the grieving period, and he felt like he was more comfortable now coming out. But at the time, at in 2010, he did go through the proper channels. So the system failed him. This is not Correct. one of those cases of a John Doe or Jane Doe coming out 15 years later. This is a case of a guy who has failed from day one and failed continuously to now, where we are today, right? So those are just the three major failures in the chain of a entirely fucked up situation that I wanted to point out. Where do we go from here? There's got to be some change in the system. And I know that's really stupid of me to say and sit here and say, well, change it. I don't know what the fuck they should do to change it. But at the end of the day, this can't happen. This can't happen again. And we're already seeing it with what's going on with the Pittsburgh Penguins now Granted, that happened years ago, and that was reported at the time, too. It was, And now we have yeah. two situations 
where sexual assault, sexual abuse in the in the hockey workplace, obviously the Penguins incident happening in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton with their AHL program, but either way, in the NHL, in the AHL, in the hockey space, we now have two sexual abuse cases, sexual assault cases, sexual harassment cases that were reported at the time and then covered up. That's a lot different, and I hope everybody at home understands, and, and everybody listening, wherever you're listening from, understands that that's a lot different than an event happening and then the story coming out being reported 10 years later, and now we have to conduct an investigation. Because mm-hmm. then, at the end of the day, you could say, yes, it's very wrong, and everybody should go and off with their heads for, for, for taking part in the atrocity, but we have to conduct a thorough investigation now. That's not the case here. No. These situations happened. They were brought to light when they happened. And the league and their partners and their aliases around the National Hockey League and the AHL failed to conduct an investigation, failed to look into it. They covered it up because why they want to focus on the product on the ice. So I don't know how we change this moving forward, but I say this, and, and going back to what I said before. Whenever somebody comes forward and says there's an issue, Granted, listen, everybody's innocent to the proven guilty in this country. That's one of the great things about the United States of America and Canada, for that matter. But at the end of the day, if you know that something's coming to light in your organization and there's multiple corroborations of the story, just like, in fact, and I I won't get into the details of the report. It it was disgusting, quite frankly. But there was never a detraction in the Aldrich Kyle Beach report that said that it never happened. Mm -hmm. The idea was one party said it was consensual, one party said it wasn't. So, so you knew something happened. And the same case in the in the, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins investigation, to my knowledge. If that's the case, you have a problem. Get him or her or whoever the fuck out of there if they're causing issues in your organization so you could focus on the ice. Because at the end of the day, if you really want to put the product on the ice first over anything else, over any people issues, over any HR issues, which is wrong. But if you do want to do that, here's some advice to the NHL organizations out there. If you have somebody causing trouble in your organization that you want to look into, get him or her the fuck out of there and look into in the offseason and hire an independent counsel and give it its due diligence, put it to light, and then make a decision on whether they come back, like you said, suspended without pay or with pay for that matter. Mm -hmm. But to absolutely allow somebody like that to continue in the organization, to continue in hockey, continue in the National Hockey League is disgusting and quite frankly, puts a bad taste in my mouth over everything that's going on right now. It does. It does. Well said. Um, you mentioned where do we go from here? So now the spotlight is on the NHLPA and the NHL itself at the office in beautiful New York City. There's currently a vote occurring whether or not the NHLPA will conduct its own internal investigation into their response. I think as of as of today. Donald Fair says, I can't remember having a conversation about what happened with specific allegations or else I would have acted differently at the time. I don't know how it's possible to believe that. I can't. I don't have it in me to take him at his word at this point. I don't trust him saying that he didn't know that something happened. That tells me there's need for new leadership in that organization. Gary Bettman says 
he's had no clue until he was tipped off in December of 2020, which is its own thing and should have been investigated at that point when the Blackhawks said this, this suit has no merit, which pissed me the fuck off as well. And Gary Bettman's actions yesterday at the press conference where he struck a tone that said, I'm going to lawyer this out and I'm going to talk through this. Tells me there's need for change at that top two. There's need for change at the helm. And, and there's also and need for... it starts at the top. It starts at the top. And really quick, I mean, as you were mentioning that, I kind of replayed in my mind what Don Fair, Donald Fair's uh, defense was in saying that Kyle Beach did at the time go to the NHL PA's personal player program or whatever they call it, mm-hmm. whatever they called it at the time. Player assistance program. Player's yeah. assistant program, yeah. And that due to patient player confidentiality reasons, it wasn't passed on. And I remember reading that and, that, and there was an official quote, I believe it was from Westhead actually, who tweeted that quote out. There's an issue not only in the helm and the leadership, but in the direction of the organization. If a matter as serious and as illegal as sexual assault in the workplace is not passed along to superiors or to an investigative body due to patient player confident player patient whatever you want to call it confidentiality and, and i'm not here to pick apart any you know therapist or anybody that that's retained by the nhlpa that's not my job to do that you know they'll get judged by their own morals but there's an obligation to pass that along so if the policy is in place, and I'm not privy to the NHLPA policy on sexual assault, but if there's a policy in place that says it remains confidential at the lowest levels and does not get passed along, that's a problem in itself. And that has that's something that has to change, not only with a change at the helm and at leadership at the NHLPA, but throughout the organization. Everybody in that organization, players included, must be aware that that cannot stand and there needs to be change and rewriting of that policy. If something as serious as any legal wrongdoing takes place that has to get passed along up the chain and there can be anonymity to it. If Kyle Beach at the time wanted to remain John Doe completely understandable and respectful and respectable to him and his feelings about the situation. But there needs to be a better policy in place if that's the policy because I'm not buying that crap. I think the players are becoming more involved as well. They're they're taking a greater greater ownership of their role in the NHLPA. Like, for example, uh, Andrew Peters has made a couple good points. He said one back in in the early two thousands, it was what's the escrow number? That's all I care about. See you next year, and they, they would write it on the board in the locker room. Their rep would communicate their pleasure or displeasure, and they'd vote. And that's it. You realize that leads to situations like the one Jack Eichel's currently in, where they don't have final say over a surgery. His number two point was that in the both the NHL and the NHLPA, former players and former members of those organizations need to have more leadership after their careers. So he mentioned the NHL commissioner should be a former player. And that's something I completely agree with. Completely agree with. I also wanted to mention the Akeem Aliyu situation, where 
his lawsuit, Gary Bettman and, and Daly said, that has concluded and we've passed on the findings to the reps. To which one of his reps tweeted, uh, no, you didn't. Here's the receipts. Here's the, here's the last time we communicated asking for what happened with this investigation. That is just such a, like a bold face. Oh, don't worry. We're dealing with it. I don't want to deal with it because it's about an old, old boys club racism in the NHL kind of response that, 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 that pissed me off. Again, it was just a, a series of being pissed off after pissed off after pissed off at answers that he was giving. And yesterday, for me, was the final straw. Uh, and you, you want to take a look at what Gary Bettman does better than anybody else, and, and that's revenue. So you brought the NHL from $300 million in revenue 30 years ago to what, five, five or six billion, four or five, six billion right now. Guess where the NBA is at? You both had stars in the 90s. Gretzky and Yager versus Michael Jordan. You both had stars in the early 2000s. Crosby, uh, Ovechkin, a U.S. team that was playing for gold medals against the Canadians versus LeBron and Carmelo, etc. You have both had similarly marketable stars in your leagues at the same time. And the NBA is light years ahead of the NHL right now. To me, that's a failure. You are four out of four, Gary Bettman, after 30 years of being the commissioner of the NHL. Combined with lawsuits and work stoppages and a general, I don't know, disdain from not only the players but fans, like the playful that are actually not so playful booze every time you walk out anywhere. It's They're time. not playful anymore. I'll tell you that yeah. much. Oh, can you imagine him announcing welcome to the 2022 NHL draft in front of a packed house in Montreal fucking all of all places. He's toast. Do you NRD have anything else um, before we do move on? on what's transpired over the last few days. I'm sure we'll keep this updated as the story continues to unfold, but I I wanted to dedicate an appropriate amount of time to giving our reaction and opinion to what happened. I think think we've said all that we had to say in this moment. Like you said, this is is a discussion. This is a um, forum that should remain open for both you and I and our listeners and for everybody for that matter. I think everybody should feel that they in well within their right to speak on this and, and what occurred. I think it's all I really have to add for today. I think there's going to be another time where I'm sure we're going to have to discuss this again, unfortunately, because this is not over. Um, and yeah, we'll just take it day by day to wrap up. I'll just say this. We're all here because we love the game of hockey. And, you know, like I said, we, we do want to go back to talking about the product on ice. Unfortunately, when things like this occur, they end up under the rug, under the table, because people just want to get back to the sport of hockey and not discuss these things. So I'm glad we have the forum here. Uh, I'm glad that Brett and myself are just two of the many voices that you've probably heard over the past couple of days discussing this. And I hope we had something to add to uh, to our listeners' day in terms of, uh, our listeners' days in terms of uh, what we've had to say. I think. Uh, now, for this, for the sake of this episode, it's probably time to move on and talk about 
some of that on ice stuff, but uh, we're not done with this. I think there's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of time that could be spent talking about where it went, where it went wrong. Bottom line is it, it did go wrong. So uh, we'll have we'll have another day. We'll have another kick at the can at this. Yep, and nowhere did it go more wrong than in upper levels of management in Chicago at the NHLPA and at the NHL. That brings us to Mr. Jack Eichel. A couple days ago, he was going to be traded. He was going to be traded. I'm not going to be traded. Are they interested? Are they not interested? Vince Vaughn for you there, NRD. Um I th- I thought I thought Friday into Saturday based on what I had heard was the day. After Friday and Saturday when I asked what happened to a certain person, I have not heard from them. So it's it I suffice to say that I've been ghosted NRD on my insider info in this, so I am uh I feel like the you know the videos of the pilots fi- flying through snow I'm flying blind here now. I think I'm I'm with everybody. What do you know about what the the last few days in the Jack Eichel saga have been, and what do you, um, where do you where, where are you on the uh, hot and cold trade talks that we've heard so much about the last couple of days? So first of all, I understand music licensing and all that, but if we could just put in Katy Perry's "Hot and Cold" right now. No, but in all seriousness, listen, you know, everybody who's followed me over the years on Twitter knows I love slinging mud in the who had it first, who said it second game. But at the end of the day, I don't care who had it first, who had it second. Things I knew. I knew that Friday was the day for this to happen. That's probably the hottest we have gotten in a very long time on the Jack Eichel front. And if you've said that, I could sleep at night knowing that I personally heard that. I know Dreger said that. I know many others have said that. I can't sit here and say I know what the holdup was, but I know what the purported package might have been. I knew it was going to involve Peyton Krebs. I knew it was going to involve the conditional first pending on Jack Eichel's playing time and availability. I knew it was going to evolve, involve most likely Alex Tuck going to Buffalo as a salary cap dump. And I think Dylan Coughlin or, uh, or Brisson, I can't think of his first name. Actually, ironically enough, the agent of Jack Eichel's son <laughs> going back to Buffalo. It was going to involve one of them, those prospects. I was I actually put out a tweet Friday afternoon, and I don't know how many people saw it. I would hope all 47,000 of you saw it, that I would have been more surprised if Krebs was not in that offer than one of the defensemen, whether that be Zach Whitecloud, um, Nick Haig, or Shea Theodore being that offer. I, I think at the end of the day, Vegas obviously wants to hold on to that blue line that they have they have Alex Petrangelo who obviously isn't going anywhere but that they wanted to keep those parts in White Cloud Nick Hay and Shea Theodore and they were starting to open up to the idea of parting with Peyton Krebs if it avoided a situation of clearing out the that defensive pool where are we now I don't know and and I said this yesterday on Twitter somebody asked I can tell you the teams that are interested, I think we've hit the nail on the head here on Cold Stove Podcast talking about Vegas, Calgary, Calgary to an extent, and Anaheim to an extent at this point. So I could tell you who's interested. I could tell you what might be in play. We've talked about the names from Anaheim. We've talked about the potential names from Calgary. We've talked about, obviously, the Vegas names. I just dropped a couple just now. 
in terms of the time frame, I have no clue. I thought Friday was the day. I think everyone around the league, and I know a lot of fans are tired of this insider game of people just saying, well, it's hot, it's cold. It's almost just talking for the sake of talking at this point. And, and I've tried to avoid that because at the end of the day, I don't have a timeline for you. I thought this would have been wrapped up at the draft. I thought this would have been wrapped up before the season started. And now we're sitting here and we thought it was going to be wrapped up a couple days ago and it was not. Moving forward, I, I think the Eric Carlson, uh, the Eric Carlson, the William Carlson injury in Vegas I don't know if it helps or hurts things in terms of this trade. It obviously helps Vegas's cap situation, but you look at it. You look at it now from a different perspective and say, "We're missing three of our top six. You bring in Jack Eichel. Now you're missing four of our top six because he's out, right? So he's not coming back till February, March, the earliest, hopefully. Um, so now we could do it from a cap perspective, but do we want to do it from a team perspective? And I know. I had this good conversation with you, Brett, the other day, you know, off off the pod about how there's a chance that Vegas says, listen, now's our time to go for it because if we kick this down the can to next year, um, we're, we're loaded, we're stacked next season, and we'll have a shot with everybody healthy. But in that same vein, you say, listen, we're, we're getting rid of prospects and picks, not only for a scratch off this year, but now we're not even getting the scratch off in the stocking this year. We're, we have to wait to get that prize next season and then play another 82 and have to deal with the health of of all these players for another 82 games, right? So I don't know what the Carlson injury does to the trade talks. I, I it, it helps the cap situation, but I'm not so convinced that it, it drives Vegas more desperate for this deal. I, I, I wonder what happens and I wonder if that is why, and like I said, I have no clue why things stalled, but I wonder if that was in part to a why things stalled in the past couple of days. Vegas may be saying, listen, we'll revisit this in a couple of days. And that very well may happen. I mean, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they fucking pulled off the trade while we're on this podcast. But <laughs> I think Vegas wanted to take a step back and reevaluate the situation, knowing now that they're missing half of their top six and where Jack Eichel fits and where trading all these forwards and, and prospects fit into the situation. That's just my two cents on it. Like I said, I can't tell you the timeline. I can give you the names. I can give you the teams. Um, to my knowledge, but in terms of timeline, I don't know. That's that's more so my my thoughts, my educated opinion, um, than anything else. Yeah, I think you make a good point on William Carlson. Where on the surface it helps if they if they are able to move him to LTIR, all of a sudden the trade becomes possible straight up. There's no third team necessary. Um. Chad and Anthony of Expected Buffalo mentioned on their podcast that Buffalo doesn't want to retain, obviously. And one, two, before I make my next point, that uh, is it Lucas Elvenes? Elvenes? Elvenes, yep. Elvenes is a, don't be surprised if, if Elvenes is a piece of whatever trade is made. So I don't have anything other than reporting on their reporting. So throwing that out there, back to the salary cap. If if Buffalo is a $2.5 million retained salary on Jack away from making this trade, my initial reaction is to not do it. I know Buffalo is vehemently against that. I know Terry Pagula might throw a shit fit if he has to pay Jack Eichel a dime after he's traded. 
but is that the thing that gets this done? And I still, like, you know what? Even after talking about it and saying it out loud, I'm going to say no. I don't, I, I think that is, they'd rather go jack out a little nuclear option and, and fight it in court and break his contract and say, we're not paying you $50 million. I don't care where you play. They'd rather that than pay him a dime after he's traded. So on one hand, the William Carlson to LTIR opens the door for that four-piece situation. And I think, by the way, on the conditional first, I would bet it's 20... 23. 23. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to make sure we're on the same yeah, page on 2023 that. conditional um, first. In order to figure out what it's going to be, right? And they can even they can even lottery protect that. I don't I, like for what if that's like a, a throw in, fine uh, on the conditions. But I I just I don't I, I again I'm flying blind here. I don't know why the trade hasn't happened. I don't think William Carlson would throw a wrench in it like some people think. I think that uh, alleviates it because I think at this point they just can press the they can press the eject button on 2021 2022. They're down their best players, plural. They're just down another one. Why not give their kids a shot to see what they can do moving forward? Get everybody healthy and market the fuck out of 2022 being the season where the superheroes all come together. You know what's the best part of a superhero movie, NRD? Tell me what. The first half hour when they're putting the team together. I don't care about, they're always going to beat the bad guys. So that that's the Stanley Cup. The coolest part is when the team comes together. They get to market that. Bill Foley, you have a Marvel movie in front of you. Make it happen. Um, that's the Vegas part of this. The other part of this is the Sabres needing to meet the cap floor once that trade is completed. The four pieces that we've mentioned, Krebs Tuck, uh, insert prospect here in a first, does not get Buffalo to the cap floor. So I reached out to somebody that would know. This is a different, different, uh, different guy than the, the Vegas Connect. I reached out to somebody that said, if Buffalo were to trade for Eunice Corposalo of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who's on the market, two point eight million dollar cap hit for this season, and then he's a free agent. The response I got was makes sense. If Buffalo were to trade a mid-round pick for Eunice Corposalo and then pull the trigger on the Jack Eichel trade that we've discussed, it all works. So I don't have any smoke that that's in motion other than a makes sense. But what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that, it obviously makes sense, like you mentioned. Um, I don't know if Jonas Corposalo is the guy in Buffalo, but I ask you this. What if you swing this? You do keep the three-team trade idea alive, right? Columbus has a high asking price on Jonas Corposalo right now. From what I've heard, it's a second-round plus, if not just a straight-up first-round pick. If you're Buffalo and you get that purported package from Vegas of Krebs, of Tuck, of a insert prospect to be named, and a conditional first-round pick, are you okay with giving up that first-round pick, that lottery ticket, with the conditions on it, and having that go to Columbus instead? 
No. For Jonas Corpusawa and then Corpusawa finding his way to Buffalo. It's an interesting question. It's something to ponder. I have no clue. And like we said, it's a make sense thing. I ask you. I defer honestly to the Buffalo fan in the room. How do you feel about giving up the first round pick in the trade if it means you get Jonas Corpusawa and you also get to the, the salary floor with it? Wouldn't wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it for you. Uh, I think the se- you know what I would do though is the second. Because Buffalo has multiple picks in the second round. So keep theirs. And trade. Oh, they have 2023 is when they get the Flyers pick from uh, Risto. I'd be okay with the second round pick for Eunice Kropisalo on a one year. He's got one year left. He's a piece. It gets the Jack Eichel thing done. It provides their goaltending with a shot in the arm. They have enough prospects where that second round pick, who wasn't going to play for three years anyway, is fine. I think I do a second. You have two in the first, you have two in the second next year. I'm okay with giving that up for a goalie that's going to backstop their team. Shouts to to Tokarski and Anderson, who are still above 930 save percentages. But that's okay for me. I'd I'd say, how about a third? And they'd say, how about a second? And I'd say, okay. Because it makes everything else happen. Because that second-round pick is Nick Haig, right? Or or Brisson. Or, yeah, Brisson or... Yeah. or Coglin. Daniel Morozov or... or couple all the prospects they have in the Vegas system, whoever it may be. Correct. Um, you know, it's something interesting to ponder. And like we say, it, it obviously makes sense. It, it makes a ton of sense for Buffalo to make their move on the goalie that gets them to the cap floor to give them the ability to do this Eichel deal, especially because, like we've said countless times on this podcast, I, I'm i loving what Buffalo is putting on the ice right now, but I don't think it's sustainable in net. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, the wheels are going to fall off that wagon um, on the back end. So... It makes sense. You kind of hit the nail on the head, and I think we did a little GM theater together right there. That's how negotiation works. I I think Columbus obviously would probably like that second plus. I I wouldn't be surprised if they asked for a conditional first for Corpus I can understand Buffalo saying we don't want to give it. Um, This is why we're in the situation we're in. At the end of the day, kind of what you've alluded to, if you're Buffalo, right, you you obviously can't make that Eichel move of Vegas without being at the cap floor. I, Why not just pull the trigger on something that gets you to the cap floor now? And even if the Vegas trade falls through, even if it you know lies dormant for the next couple of weeks, have that flexibility that if a moment's notice something comes about that you like, like for some reason, for some reason Buffalo doesn't like Brisson and they want Dylan Coughlin or, or vice versa or... Uh, Lucas, whatever the fuck his name is, um, is involved in the trade. Elvenis. Elvenis, yeah. Like, let's say Buffalo has an affinity for one of those prospects, and they're not on the table yet, but a different prospect is. Why not make the deal to get to the cap floor now, so that way if one of those prospects then is put in play by Vegas over the next couple of weeks, you have that flexibility to moments notice to pick up the phone and say yes. Right now they don't have that, like we've mentioned. Um more so than the Vegas waiver claim of Mike Amadio or the re-signing of Zach Whitecloud, that's what I'd be looking for as my domino to fall in a Jack Eichel move. Potentially something Buffalo gets done over the next couple of days or weeks that gets them to the cap floor. Mm-hmm. That way it puts them in play at a moment's notice to say yes to any team. They could also they could also just retain on Jack, but they have a certain guy who drills oil wells and natural gas wells for a living that uh, does not want to do that. So I'd, I'd expect outside money before it came from 
within. Um, before we move on, real quick, we mentioned Calgary, we mentioned Anaheim. Is there any reason to believe that Calgary, I think we know there's been smoke. I think we know they're interested. I think we know the pieces. Is Anaheim, are they, are they too winded in this 400-meter sprint at this point to make anything happen? If we're putting that in that analogy, analogy, I'd say, yeah, I don't think they're out of gas yet. I don't think they've pulled up. I don't think they have a hammy. I don't think they're done. <laughs> but I think in a three in a three man race right now, I think they're third. And like we've said, the situation's so fluid. If Anaheim's not going to put Zeus on the table, and they're hesitant to put Drysdale on the table, Anaheim has a great prospect pool. But then it becomes tough to compete with Peyton Krebs. In my opinion, and in from the limited knowledge that I have, in Kevin Adams' opinion as well, it becomes tough for Anaheim to compete with Peyton Krebs if they're not going to put up Zegers or Drysdale. And, and that's always been the the pin in Anaheim and everything Jack Eichel related is will they put up those two guys, or obviously not both, but one or the other. So far it hasn't happened, and I think that's why we're seeing Anaheim start to slip out of this. If you're Anaheim, I mean, we've debated the merits of whether a Jack Eichel trade makes sense for Anaheim. You can go both ways on it. If you're Anaheim at the same in the same vein, though, why would you want to see him go to Vegas in division? So you never know. That's why these situations are fluid. But yeah, I think that's a good analogy. I think they're the third. They're behind the pack right now. If if Vegas is on the home stretch and Calgary's behind them, I would say Anaheim's still rounding turn three. Um, in this and they could always get a boost by putting one of those players on the table but it hasn't happened yet and that's why we're in the position we're in now with Anaheim they haven't exactly uh, propped up Maxime Comtois if they were expecting him to be a solid part of that trade uh, they haven't exactly propped him up in in the put him up in the window and said look at what we have here that was a small. That was a. That wasn't an NRD bomb. That was an NRD drop. We'll call it an NRD dropping <laughs> on the on the cold stuff pod. Shout outs to episode one. Um, and a lot of people gave me flack for it. They said, "What are you talking about, Comtois? He's liked in Anaheim. He's just he had an off ninety scratch." Well, look what happened now. I don't think that guy is. Uh, I'll put it in his native language. I don't think he's out of Chateau Bow Wow yet in Anaheim. I think there's a lot of uh, distaste for Maxime Comtois in the room in Anaheim as we reported on episode one of the Cold Stove Pod. Jack Eichel will be traded. It's a matter of when. The Zdeno Chara experiment uh, has, has also drawn some ire. NRD, what do you know about what's going on on the island? First off, I feel bad for the Islanders and their fans. I mean, they've been clamoring for this guy to come home since they fucking, since Mike Milbury... <laughs> <laughs> filleted that organization back in the the late 90s early 2000s mm-hmm. um so he finally does and interestingly enough char's been solid for the past five years but they acquire him one year too late <laughs> um <laughs> it looks like char has just passed that level of being decent to now being washed um shout out to washed it's on the wall uh yeah no so the thing with Zidane char is the Islanders obviously need to improve on the on the blue line. A lot of disappointment in the organization for one of the defensive prospects, Bodie Wild, who did not make the team out of camp 
was not vaccinated, so could not report to the AHL and was loaned to Sweden. I think that's a the disappointment there in the organization. That might have been some internal help. Looking outside the organization now, not a ton on the defensive market. Minnesota's locked down Matthew Dumba. I would have said he would have been the biggest name in play in the defensive market two months ago. That's not the case now. I don't know where the Islanders turn to today. If you're looking at teams that could give up some of the defensive depth for futures, it's possible the Islanders go back to their salary cap dumping well in Arizona and see what Arizona has cooking on the blue line. Potentially, I think you look at you look at Dallas after signing Mira Heiskanen to that gigantic contract. I think they have some pieces at the 6th D-man, 7th D-man level that they would part with. From there, I don't know where the Islanders go to, but I know they have a Zidane Ochara issue. And I know it needs to be fixed. And I know that the that despite other reports from other people in the media, the Islanders are starting to look into that external help. I don't think they're comfortable with anything inside anymore. Anytime you split up Pulak and Pelik, there's something wrong. Because I think they, they loved to lean on that pair. And I, I don't think they would do it unless there was something wrong, uh, a crack in the foundation, if you will. Colin Miller's another guy for Buffalo that uh, smallish cap hit, one year left, rental piece. If they put him in you know, a position to play a bunch of minutes, maybe he's a guy they look at as well. Uh, let's go north of the border, NRD. You familiar with this guy, Connor McDavid? Heard he's pretty good. Yeah, he's all right. Him and Leon Dreisaitl have uh, 17 points apiece already. But their goaltending situation has been a question. What do you know about the tendies in Edmonton? I know that despite Jonas Corposalo being available in Columbus and despite the Oilers' interest in the offseason, they're not currently involved in the Corposalo sweepstakes. That's not to say they won't potentially get involved but right now from what i've been told they're gonna ride with what they've got in mike smith who i believe i'm not sure if he came off injured reserve yet or if he's uh close to but mike smith at uh koskinen in net i believe they're sticking with them too that's what i was told yesterday it's what i've been continued to be told over the past couple of weeks i don't think they're ready to make that maneuver for a goaltender yet i don't i have not been specifically i've been specifically told they're not involved with Corpus Allo right now. I have not been told that they've been involved with any other goaltender around the league yet. So drawing straws there, I tell you that looks like Edmonton's going to ride into the storm with Mike Smith, baby. You know what? There's worse guys out there to ride into said storm too. Love, love the way Mike Smith plays the game. A couple other names that were mentioned on the block that I, uh, I want to get your thoughts on. Number one being Dylan Strom, Chicago Blackhawk, who has, uh, in by all accounts, played very well, but for some reason, Colleton is not a fan. Do you have anything outside of you know the the couple of weeks that Chicago's had on a Dylan Strom or a, a Raquel, for example, in Anaheim, or maybe a Philip Forsberg in Nashville? It's interesting about Dylan Strom, and we'll kind of tie this back into a conversation we just had. We know from Larry Brooks of the New York Post that the New York Rangers were one of those teams calling on Dylan Strom 
happened to have his brother Reinstrom in the fold already. Mm-hmm. Happened to be looking for some depth down the middle. Happened to have Vitaly Kravtsov sitting in Russia. I don't think one for one that really makes sense for either team, but if you get a pick involved going either way, or another prospect going involved, there's a connection you could see fit between Strom and Kravtsov. Would be quite ironic if the Rangers happened to bring in Dylan Strom and then traded out Ryan at the deadline. Though I don't know <laughs> if that was gonna I don't know if that would happen. I, I a lot of Ranger fans like to beat up on Ryan Strom. I think he's actually playing quite well. I, I think that uh he's had a resurgence in his career from the first half with the New York Islanders and the Edmonton Oilers to where he is now with the New York Rangers playing with Artemi Panarin. So uh so I think it's something that the New York Rangers are looking into. One of those issues with Dylan Strom is he has been scratched as of late. And it's similar to the Vitaly Kravtsov situation where teams want to see this guy on the ice. They haven't really got a large enough sample size of Dylan Strom this season as compared to last season in order to swing a trade. And last year was a shortened year. And last year, obviously, I had a lot of different parameters going for it. Different different path for the Chicago Blackhawks team than they are on right now, despite them virtually being on the same path. I mean, they sucked last year. They sucked this year. But... They, they don't want to suck this year, so they, they made a lot of moves to set themselves up for success. Hasn't come to fruition yet, but it might. And the fact that Dylan Strom's not on the ice playing with these players and getting to show off what he can bring to organization, I think is giving some GMs pass right now. And uh, But I, I look at the Rangers, because I think there's something to be said there about Kravtsov. I mean, we know that Chris Jury stuck to a first-round pick or first-round talent asking price. I think Dylan Strom can be a first-round talent if if healthy and if he hits his maximum potential. I know you could say that about a lot of guys, but I see the light with Dylan Strom. I think that the fit in the Chicago Blackhawks organization is giving us recency bias and a little bit more displeasure towards the player than we should have with Dylan. He Strom. feels like a uh, he feels like a change of scenery guy. He is a change. Of I know scenery it's a, guy. I know it's I know it's a cliche. He is, but he feels like a clean uh, change of scenery sure. guy. And I think that uh, Kravtsov is too, and I think that's why it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Larry Brooks reported it. I, I have nothing to add to his report, but I could say that if we're talking about things that make sense today, that's the word, that's the phrase of the day, that makes a lot of sense for both sides if you get some other pieces involved here. The old Patrick Line move. Uh, let's whip it around the NHL, shall we? Cole Caulfield is going to Laval. Any comment on the Season opening Calder or Calder Trophy favorite being demoted NRD in, in what has been a nightmare scenario for Montreal. He hasn't been good, but Montreal hasn't been good. Mark Bergman's not going to be there next year. I think this is a punt. I think you're in a fourth and twelve situation if you're in Montreal for this season. Looking at the season as a whole, you're you're fourth and twelve. You're just going to punt. I think you're down by twenty already. Some would say go for it. What do you have to lose? But I think Montreal's going to punt. They're going to wait till they get Carey Price back on the fold. We know Shea Weber's never coming back again. So, you know, sucks for the Montreal blue line. But Cole Caulfield will be back. I, I think this is to get him top. I mean, he's going to play 25 minutes tonight as a forward in Laval. And he's going to sit on that top line. And he's going to play all two minutes on the power play. So I think this is just to get him his confidence back. I don't think it does any kid good being on a losing team. I mean, look what look at the rough season the New York Rangers have had the past couple of years and then last year did for Capococco two years ago and then Alexi Lafreniere the prior year. Didn't do great things for their confidence. I mean, there's a lot of hype coming out around Caco and Lafreniere, obviously number, number two overall pick 
number one overall pick, and they underachieved, if, if you want to look at it that way, and that, I think, is due in part to being on a losing team. Caulfield's confidence is in the shitter right now. I think sending him down to Laval and having him basically cherry-pick in the offensive zone all night will do wonders, and he'll light it up like he did when he was signed to his professional contract in Montreal previously last year. I don't expect that anything is brewing or anything really, anything more than that behind the scenes. I think Montreal's punting, and they want to give this kid some confidence. They say that goal scorers need to see the puck go in the net. It's as simple a cliche as there is. You mentioned blue liners. One in Shea Weber, probably done. A couple blue liners that are uh, a little bit heavier in the pocket are Morgan Riley and Adam Fox. Any comments on their extensions that have happened over the last week? It's interesting enough that these are two teams that now have over $45 million tied up into four players. Three of which are forwards. Uh, isn't isn't that fun? Three of which you, are forwards, you... yep, in Toronto. Two of which are defensemen <laughs> in New York and Truba and Fox. The Riley contract needed to get done because he's a solid defenseman in the National Hockey League. And we've always said that the Leafs are too top-heavy up front. You need to retain the talent you have on the blue line. I know, you're in salary cap hell. And, and it's tough. And there's going to be a lot of Kyle Dubas... Jedi Master learned from Lou Lamorella tricks that need to get done in order to uh, to add to that Toronto team should they need to add. But you need to retain the talent that you have in Toronto. So I have no problems with the Morgan Riley contract. And as far as the Adam Fox contract goes, he's arguably one of the best defensemen in the world, if not the best defenseman in the world right now. It's one of those deals that, listen, sit nine and a half is a lot, and the Rangers put themselves in cap hell, but at the same time, it's a steal because he just won the Norris, but at the same time, it's a good deal for both sides. I, I you yeah. know, it's one of those... At the end of the day, if people are arguing that it's too much money in the same vein, people are arguing that he's so good, it means that it's a good deal for both sides. I mean, you have to pay good players money. You know, look at the NBA, look at the MLB. The good players are getting paid $300 million as a supermax in the NBA and the MLB. Patrick Mahomes makes $500 million in the NFL. Luckily, the NHL, because of the salary cap situation, these owners don't have to cut checks north of $10 million too often. So anytime you get a guy for less than that with Adam Fox's caliber, I think it's a win for both sides. Obviously, Fox is comfortable yeah. signing with that number, and you know he's a hell of a defenseman. You can't, you can't get him for anything less, and you're lucky you don't have to pay him more. Yeah, you're lucky he's an RFA, which I think we'll see more and more of in this cap era, people pulling trade on those early extensions. Because one, the salary cap's going up. We know that. It's going to take a couple of years, but they, we know it's going back up. And two, the UFA market, where these guys have all the leverage, is vastly different than locking in your RFAs. Let's, uh, let's turn the dial here. We'll go uh, hottest teams in the league. They are not the Lightning. They are not the Avalanche. They're the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes. NRD... Florida doing it with a new coach, Andrew Brunette. What have you seen out of two, let's call them smaller market teams, to put it nicely? What have you seen out of the Hurricanes and the Panthers that you have liked thus far? Hockey's hot in the South, baby. Let's go. Sure is. Sunbelt. Sunbelt Conference. Let's just spin them off. The Austin Coyotes, Austin Coyotes are next. I can't wait. Let's just form a Sunbelt Conference in the NHL. Um, no, I like what I'm seeing out of Carolina. Who would have thought Freddie Anderson would have had the start 
to the season that he would have had. I mean, that guy has been plagued in the month of October in his National Hockey League career. And he's hit the ground like gangbusters this season to start the year. He's been outstanding for Carolina. And I think that is the single largest part in their success is the player Freddie Anderson. With Florida, I mean, we could sit here and talk about, you know, how much the Quenville situation was botched, which we didn't even get to. And we'll get to that another time as we're running throughout the show here. And we're past that already. But with Andrew Brunette, we know that John Tortorella is interested in that job. That we've heard from sources and from Kevin Weeks. But if you're Florida, you just keep rolling, right? I mean, Brunette was on the staff. Have you have to just keep rolling right now. Who knows if Brunette is going to be a flash in the pan or a great coach in the National Hockey League. He was a great player. He was a very smart player when he played. I, I think that if you're Florida, though, you can't even entertain a coaching search right now. I think you just roll with this. And it, you only entertain a coaching search in season if the wheels fall off. Look at Buffalo last year with, with Donnie Meatballs. I mean, they made the change from Ralph Kruger to Donnie Meatballs. Shout-outs to him. Played really, really well underneath his tutelage for the rest of the year. They didn't entertain a coaching search in the season. They kicked out into the offseason. And then eventually they really didn't need one. They they retained their guy. I think it's similar in Florida. I think you just stick with the success you have right now. Tortorella, I, I like Tortorella more than many. I think a lot of people give him flack for his media antics over the years. He's a really smart coach. He He's so knowledgeable about the game. He's now second, uh, second place for most wins by an American-born coach to Peter Laviolette. But... He's still really, really good. He's still really, really with the game. They have a lot of vets in Florida, which meshes with the type of personalities that John Tortorella likes to coach. They're not too young. I think the issue with Columbus towards the end was Columbus started their rebuild after John Davidson left the organization. I think you brought in a lot of young talent in Columbus that Tortorella did not necessarily mesh with. There's familiarity Uh, in Columbus. They can't handle a Tortorella locker room, is that what you're saying? I think the youths of today can't handle a Tortorella locker room. <laughs> I think once, like we talked about last week, that scene on 24-7 with the New York Rangers, I, I think that strike, I think that strikes a lot of the young players the wrong way. I, I think a lot of, and I'm not here to be, you know, old man yells at cloud over, over old hockey and new hockey, but I think a lot of younger players are more so into the tutelage and the X's and O's of the game, and I think that's what helps them. I think Tortorella is not that type of coach. Tortorella is more of a veteran leadership. We're going to go out there. We're going to grind heavy. We're going to block shots. And that's how we're going to win games type of coach. That meshes better with what they have on the roster in Florida right now. There's a lot of familiarity with the GM being Bill Zito. Obviously, cross-passing their time in Columbus. Sergei Bobrovsky in the net in Florida. John Tortorella was his coach. Anthony Duclair. They didn't get along in Columbus very well. <laughs> Actually, I, I saw that press conference from, from a couple of years prior when Tortorella was talking about how, listen, there was a lot of questions about Duclair and his ability to fit to line up in Tortorella. More or less, to paraphrase, said, this is on his fourth coach bitching and moaning about him. He's got to put it together. So, yeah. I don't. Was he in New York, too, when Tortorella was there? He was not. I think I believe okay. that was the first season of... Uh, Elaine Vigneault. I could be wrong, but I, gotcha. but I know their paths crossed in, in Columbus. Yes, that made sense. So I don't know if there's familiarity or there's wanted familiarity there with Anthony <laughs> Duclair, but there's a lot of familiarity in the Florida Panthers organization with John Tortorella. He makes a lot of sense as a candidate if Florida falls short this year. But like we've said, I think you have to ride with Andrew Brunette for now and and see what happens. NRD, that's going to do it for Cold Stove this week. We are a couple things are going to happen this week. We have the Garen lawsuit that's being revisited. Uh, 
in Pittsburgh. Well, when he, when he was with Pittsburgh, excuse me, we have uh, uh, people getting healthy. We have the Sharks who are a debacle on the COVID front. The Sabres, like arguably, uh, could cancel the game debacle. They have that many players out. Um, we have Toronto still kind of putting the wheels back on the the wagon, kind of figuring out where people are. We have the last couple undefeated teams uh, in in terms of Florida, Carolina. I guess I'm I'm just excited for a week of hockey. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more out of Chicago on that situation. But let me ask you this: before we record next week, does the Jack Eichel trade get done? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here, Brett. <laughs> I sure I have, have, you know, I know everybody wants an answer. I'm going to sit here and say, I'm going to preface it by saying I have no clue. But I'm going <laughs> to say by the time we record next Tuesday, no. Okay. But I have no clue. Okay. But I have no clue. I will. I want you to quote I that part do... of it. Make sure you quote the I have no clue before <laughs> you quote the no, but I'm going to say no. Just judging by how things have twisted and turned and the Carlson situation now in Vegas. I'm going to say if it happens, I think everybody's going to take a step back for the next week or so and take a deep breath. I'm going to say yes because I I uh put that November 4th date out into the universe. So I'm you know, I'm going to stick by my hypothetical November 4th deadline for Jack to get the surgery. That's that's what I'll go with. How's that? I like it. We're hedging. Uh, you know you heard it here. The, if it happened or if it didn't, you heard it here <laughs> in the Cold Stove Podcast. Exactly. Cold Stove Podcast. I am Brett Merriman at Schmerriman on Twitter. That's NRD at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. Need your help again. We had unbelievable response again from the folks out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please keep it up by uh, subscribing on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. I'll say this much. However, we have we have X many uh, ratings and reviews, which are dwarfed by the number of listens we have. So I know you're out there listening. Just hop in there. Hop in the five stars or or four. I mean, if you want to see something better out of us, let us know. Leave a review. That's what Leave, that's for. Let us know how we're doing. Shout, one guy one guy follows us on Twitter, at Mark in Fairport or something like that. He tweeted me and he said, NRD, stop pumping your tires on the podcast, too. I said, listen, <laughs> I'll make you a deal. I have 47,000 followers on Twitter. You have almost 20,000 followers, if not more already, Brett. We have a lot of listeners yep. on the podcast. Once all of you leave a five-star review on the Cold Stove Pod, I'll stop pumping my tires. Until then, you're going to have to hear it. So, zero tire pumps after zero that. T- once everybody leaves deal. their five-star review, I'll shut up. Until then, you're going to have to deal with it, Mark <laughs> and Fairport and everybody else out there listening. Shouts to Fairport. Great rank. Thomas, uh, Thomas Creek Ice Arena out there in Fairport. Give us a follow on Twitter. And Instagram at Cold Stove Pod. NRD, this has been fun. Uh, well done breaking down the Blackheart situation. I'm sure we'll see you on Twitter this week. Uh, oh yeah, did you want to address the the Twitter the Twitter verse that you are not? Yeah, really. You, you ain't you ain't fucking you ain't fucking leaving. I'm not leaving Twitter. Come on, guys. <laughs> I, I mean, fucking nine years on Twitter. You think I'm leaving now to start a podcast with this guy? No, I'm kidding. Uh, this podcast is great. I hope you enjoy it. I think it's a it allows me to break down some of these storylines in a new light, but Twitter's always going to be the main platform. And I'm glad in all seriousness that I have this forum with Brett now and, you know, not to, not to pump his tires anymore, but I've said this countless times to him and to everybody else that I know personally, you know, I've been very selective about doing a podcast over the years, had to have been the right fit for me, the right co-host, 
the right ability to talk about what I want to talk about. And Brett's obviously that guy, but have no fears about uh, NRD leaving the Twitter the Twitterverse. He's he's there to stay. I think this is more so to allow myself and allow Brett to express our views, our opinions, and some of these scoops in a more in-depth level. We're not limited to 280 characters on this podcast. So fear not, my Twitter friends. NRD is here to stay. Amen, brother. That's, that'll do it for us. We will see you guys next week. Shoot us a tweet if you want to see uh, anything else that we need to talk about. And uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.